Well, hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben Krause. I'm the campus pastor here at our Noblesville campus, and I'm so glad that you've chosen to be with us today. That's for you, church. That's right back at you, okay? So glad you've chosen to be here, a part of our first service, which seems to be a rowdy one this morning. So that's great. We are uh, right at the beginning of this new series uh, titled The Chosen One. You just heard Paul talk about that this morning. This series is actually going to take us all the way up to and through Easter. And uh, it seems weird to me that we're already talking about Easter, but it is upon us. And with that, I just want to let you know uh, things are going to be just a little bit different on Easter weekend, not necessarily uh, for those of you who normally come to Genesis on Sunday mornings. We're still going to offer both of our Sunday morning services on Easter morning, but we're also going to add two services the Saturday night before uh, Easter morning, and, uh, and there will be no Sunday night service on the day of Easter. So we'll talk about that more uh, as the day approaches. I just wanted to make you aware uh, today that that schedule is going to be a little bit different on Easter weekend. I want to start this morning by, uh, by just acknowledging that there is a question that is asked by people of all different walks of life, people of all different ages. It's a question that I believe um, everyone will end up pondering and asking at some point in their life. And the question is this, it's who's going to love me? Who's going to love me? And that's a question that's asked by you know, a 75-year-old woman who has to trade in her home uh, for a shared room at an at a assisted care facility, she, she goes and she wonders, who's going to love me? It's a question that's pondered by a 54-year-old man who's lost his wife, and now he lays uh, in a bed that he used to share with the woman of his dreams, and he stares at the ceiling and he wonders, who's going to love me? It's a question that, that's pondered by the 36-year-old woman who has watched her husband walk away from their marriage and maybe into the arms of another, and now she stands uh, with the broken pieces of a divorce and the shattered dreams of the life she thought she would have, and, and she wonders, who's going to love me? I believe every teenager, whether they would admit it or not, uh, wrestles with these same kinds of questions. You know, will I be accepted? Will I be one of the popular kids? Is somebody going to ask me to the prom? And behind all of those questions is the deeper question, who's going to love me? I wonder this morning, have you asked that question at some point in your life? Have you wondered that same thing, who's going to love me? You know, God's not surprised by our deep desire uh, to answer that question. He created us, and he knows our longing to, to be loved. And God, in his great grace, has provided for us the answer to that question, who's going to love me? We find uh, the answer to that question actually in John chapter 10. If you brought your Bible with you today, I want to invite you to turn there. If you didn't bring your Bible, uh, these verses are going to be up on the screen, so no problem there. But uh, if you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one. You can go out to our info hub after the service, let them know that you'd like to have a Bible, and they will give you one uh, that will be yours to have as your own. But before we start reading in John chapter 10, I want to set the scene for you just a little bit. One chapter earlier in the book of John, John chapter 9, what we find is that Jesus has healed a man who was blind from birth. Okay, Jesus has healed this man, and the religious leaders find out about this, and they, they bring the man in to interrogate him. Now, the religious leaders, we know them as the Pharisees. We've talked about the Pharisees here before, and their intent in interrogating this man is that they want to, uh, they want to punch some holes in his story. They want to question his integrity, and ultimately, they want to discredit this miracle that Jesus has performed. 
But eventually what they do is they just throw the man out because they can find no such evidence uh, against Jesus to discredit his miracle. I mean, the man had obviously been blind. He's obviously now been given sight. And if ever there was a reason to celebrate, it was then. But the Pharisees don't celebrate. In fact, quite the opposite happened. Why? Well, because the Pharisees' agenda was very different than the agenda of Christ. See, Jesus, in the New Testament, what we find is that he cared about people. He's constantly running toward the broken and the sick and the needy, and he loved them and he cared for their needs. The, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they only cared about themselves. What they loved was having power over people, and Jesus saw this in them. He saw this in them, and, and he tells them, you know what, the man who I healed, he had physical blindness, but you actually suffer from a greater disability because you're spiritually blind. And in John chapter 10, Jesus drives this point home by using an analogy, and it was an analogy that would have been familiar to everyone in that culture. It was the analogy of a shepherd and his sheep. Now, this obviously is not going to be as clear to us in our modern-day culture, right? You and I, we don't, uh, we don't really interact with sheep a whole lot. We see them maybe once a year at the county fair, right? Or if the church goes all out and they bring live animals in for the, uh, the Christmas pageant, that's probably about as much as we interact with sheep. But in Jesus' day, uh, this was a, a much uh, more common analogy. You know, herding sheep was a common profession, and it's important to note that to the Jewish mind, a shepherd could represent any kind of leader, okay? So a shepherd could be a political leader, it could be a spiritual leader. People looked at the kings and the prophets as shepherds. Psalm 100 refers to Israel as the flock of the Lord, and the Lord was their shepherd. So we're going to have some things to learn today about sheep and shepherds to understand Jesus' answer to the question of who's going to love me. But let's read together in John chapter 10. I'm going to start right in verse 1, and Jesus begins like this. He says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. And so Jesus begins by making a point that there's more to being a shepherd than just herding sheep. Right? There's a relationship there between the shepherd and his sheep. There's an intimate knowledge. A good shepherd knew his sheep. He, he did this in two ways. First, every shepherd would have a, a, a distinctive mark that they would cut into one of the ears of every one of their sheep. So even from a distance, a shepherd could see that mark, and he would know which sheep belonged to him and which sheep did not belong to him. The second way a shepherd knew his sheep uh, was by the way they responded to his voice. Look again at verse 3, about halfway through, where it says this. It says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, it's important to know that a sheep pen frequently held several different flocks of sheep uh, owned by several different shepherds. And when the time came for a particular shepherd to take his sheep out to pasture, uh, he would have to come and separate his sheep from the others. And he did this with a distinct call. It was a call that was unique only to that shepherd. Um, the, the call was similar to a yodeling sound. And I'm not going to try and mimic that sound for you today, okay? You're just going to have to try to imagine uh, that for yourself. But when the shepherd made that sound, 
his sheep would recognize, hey, that's my shepherd, and they would follow the shepherd out. The shepherd would then walk ahead of his sheep, and the sheep would follow him. Look again in, in verse 4 where it says, When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. That's what that's talking about. But look what it says next in verse 5. It says, But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. So a stranger could never lead the sheep out because they won't respond to his voice. So if a, a thief were to come to try and steal the sheep, that thief would literally have to drive the sheep out. He could never lead them out. But the good shepherd doesn't have to drive the sheep. He leads the sheep because they know him. They know his voice and they respond to him. Now jump down to verse 14 and look at what Jesus says in response to all of this. He, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And so to the question of who's going to love me, well, first Jesus says it's this. It's someone who knows me. It's someone who knows me. There's an intimacy between the shepherd and his sheep. There's a relationship and a knowing that, that's going on there. He knows them and they know him. They recognize his voice. Listen, when my mom calls me on the phone, she doesn't have to say, this is mom, right? She actually does say that, and it's kind of funny, because I know, but, but she doesn't have to, because we have a close relationship. I know her voice, and, and she knows me. But when you think about the relationship that you have with a spouse or, or with a loved one, that's only a fraction of the intimate knowledge that God has of you. God knows everything about you. Psalm 139 tells us that, that he knit us together in our mother's womb. And in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus reminds us that the Lord has numbered every hair on our heads. Or if you're like me, every hair that used to be on your head, okay? Jesus is the good shepherd because he knows us. And I want you to think about your life right now. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you haven't let anyone else know about. Maybe it's a, a financial situation. Maybe it's some kind of strife in your home, maybe between a spouse, uh, maybe between your kids. You know, maybe there's something that, that, uh, that you've kept uh, hidden that's in your past that you've never shared with anyone else, and you feel like this burden is yours to carry all alone. Listen, Jesus knows everything about you. He's not surprised by the things that you've kept a secret. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're just walking through life unnoticed, like nobody even notices you. You know, does anybody even care? I want you to know this morning that Jesus notices you, that, that he knows you more intimately than you even know yourself, and he cares deeply for you. I'm afraid that many of us, when we think about uh, Jesus knowing us, that we think of it as a negative thing. It's like the saying on this little girl's t-shirt. Have you seen this before? It says, if you pick your nose, Jesus knows, right? And that's a pretty funny t-shirt unless it's really how we view Jesus. Like he's just keeping track of all the bad stuff and all the gross stuff, you know? Like he's some kind of, you know, cosmic omniscient Santa Claus who's checking his list twice and he's going to love you based off of, you know, if you're naughty or you're nice. Listen, that's not why Jesus wants to know you. Jesus wants to know you because he created you. He wants to know you because he loves you. Jesus doesn't love your sin but he doesn't love you any less because of it either. That's why we find in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus is looking out over the crowds, it says that he had compassion on them 
because he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. A, a good shepherd knows his sheep. He makes that effort. He knows their strengths and he knows their weaknesses. He knows their joys and he knows their struggles and he loves them regardless. That's how Jesus knows you and me. So who's going to love me? Well, first, it's someone who knows me. But Jesus goes beyond just knowing me. Jesus is also someone who will protect me. And you know, sheep, uh, they aren't particularly built for fighting, okay? They're not built for defending themselves. I think it's going too far to say that they have no defenses whatsoever. Obviously, you know, a ram has its horns, and a ewe will defend her lamb in a moment of, you know, a predator attacking. But the reality is when a predator attacks, most of the time, the sheep is going to lose that fight. I mean, they're just not built for fighting. They're going to they're gonna need someone to protect them. So the shepherd had better see his work as more than just a job because being a shepherd is going to involve some risk. It's going to involve some protecting. Look at what Jesus says in verses 12 and 13. It says, the hired hand is not the shepherd, and he, doesn't, he does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep, and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand, and he cares nothing for the sheep. So this was likely a common problem uh, for shepherds. They, were hi they would hire workers to help uh, tend their flocks, but the thing is, the hired hand was there for one reason— Okay, he was there for the paycheck, right? Have you ever had a job like that? So if a wolf were to show up and to attack the flock, the hired hand was as likely to run away from the threat as he was to confront it. And after all, why would he risk his neck for someone else's sheep? He doesn't care about the sheep. But a good shepherd doesn't run away from danger. In fact, the good shepherd runs toward the danger. I recently uh, read a story about a man who I believe is a modern-day good shepherd. And you might have heard about this. His story was actually highlighted on 60 Minutes about Chardon High School football coach Frank Hall. And we have a picture of Coach Hall here this morning. And, and the story is about his actions during a shooting that happened at his school. And I want to read for you just a part of the account of his actions that day. The story said, Two years ago, a student-turned-gunman killed three of his fellow students and wounded three more in Chardon, Ohio. And there would have been undoubtedly many more if Frank Hall, the assistant football coach, had not intervened. When the gunfire began, Coach Hall did the unthinkable. Instead of diving for cover, he stood up, pushed his table out of the way, and started pursuing the gunman. The gunman fired at him twice and missed. Hall kept coming, kept pursuing the shooter right out of the building. And though he lost him in the parking lot, he successfully got him away from the students. The police apprehended the gunman in the woods soon after. And meanwhile, Coach Hall ran back inside to try and help those who were injured. And while they waited for emergency responders to arrive on the scene, Coach Hall was asked, you know, why, why he did what he did. And he simply replied, he was hurting my kids. I had to stop him from hurting my kids. And you know, a, a story like that can really hit close to home. I mean, we hear about these kinds of tragic events in our schools far too often, but isn't it good to know that there are coach halls in the world who will run toward that threat? What a picture of what it means to be a modern-day good shepherd. Those kids weren't just his students. They were his family. He knew them. He loved them. His instinct was to protect them. And that's the character of a good shepherd. 
It's the same character described of Jesus in the 23rd Psalm. It's a passage that was written centuries before Christ ever walked the earth in human form. And the psalmist wrote from the perspective of a sheep, and he said, The Lord is my shepherd. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Certainly, you've heard that verse before. I wonder if you've ever thought about uh, the meaning of it, specifically when it says, you know, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What, how did that happen? Well, the shepherd's staff was a tool of protection in a couple of different ways. First, it was a, a defensive weapon. So when predators would attack, the staff could be used to strike and to extend the shepherd's reach. And a shepherd was a better defender with a staff than just with his bare hands. So the staff would be a defensive weapon in that way. But it was also a tool for protection uh, in that it was used to correct poor behavior. Okay, and so um, I wonder if you've ever seen a picture that looks something like this. I bet you've probably seen this picture before or one that's like it. And maybe you haven't thought too much about it. It's just Jesus hanging out with his sheep, giving piggyback rides. And, uh, you know, they're having a good day out on the pasture. But the reality of a picture like this uh, probably isn't such a happy story. In fact, the better explanation for a picture like this is that the shepherd has intentionally broken the leg of that lamb. And now is forced to carry and to care for it. Why, why would that happen? Well, because while sheep are inherently easy targets, when they wander away from the shepherd and when they wander away from the flock, they're putting themselves into even greater danger. And so the, the shepherd would use his staff to gently prod and to gently set boundaries for his sheep. But when there's a sheep who would consistently wander away from the flock, the shepherd would take more extreme measures and he would break that sheep's leg, likely with his staff. And that would mean that, that this sheep was going to have to be dependent on the shepherd for care. It would mean that the sheep would have to remain in extremely close proximity to the shepherd. And it would have to learn to rely on his voice and to trust the shepherd. So at times the shepherd's protection came in the form of correction. His protection came in other ways as well as we read on in the 23rd Psalm. Uh, David also makes the, the statement as he writes of the Lord his shepherd. He says that the Lord anoints my head with oil. And there's a significant meaning to that as well. Sheep are pestered by something called a nose fly. And uh, if you're not interested in eating lunch today, I suggest you Google sheep nose fly and look at some of the stuff that comes up. I, I did that in preparing for this message, and it's absolutely disgusting. What happens is this fly lands on the sheep's nose, and then it crawls up inside onto the soft, warm membranes inside of the sheep's nose, and it lays its eggs there. And the eggs, they incubate, and they hatch, and they become a larva inside the sheep's nose. And this drives the sheep absolutely crazy. So the shepherd would put a special oil on his sheep's head, and the oil would repel this fly. It was kind of like a form of early deep woods off, if you will, okay? Because being a shepherd himself, David understood that the good shepherd would care and protect his sheep. That's why he writes, you anoint my head with oil, because he understands that care and that protection that the good shepherd has for his sheep. Now, how does this relate to us today? How, how does our good shepherd protect us? Well, I think his protection plays out in a couple of different ways. First, he sometimes protects us physically. And I think this is probably uh, what we think about the most is the Lord's physical protection over us. I think it's probably what we pray about the most is the Lord's physical protection. 
And I bet there are several stories, even in, in this room this morning, of, of ways that the Lord has physically uh, protected you or protected someone that you love. I bet you can think of a time when, when there was a, you know, an, an illness and, and it, was, it was bad, you know, and the doctor said there's no hope, and then the illness went away. And, and that's the Lord's physical protection. Or maybe the, the scan showed that there was a tumor there, and then the next time the tumor was gone. You know, how do you explain that? What's well, the Lord's physical protection? Maybe, um, you know, the bills were piling up and the collectors were calling and that check came in the mail at just the right time for just the right amount. Well, these are all examples of the Lord's physical protection over us. And I, I bet we've got multiple stories like that in this room this morning. But, you know, I think, I think God's physical protection over us, for the most part, goes unnoticed most of the time. I, I think that, that really any day that we make it through and our head hits that pillow again uh, at night is an example of the Lord's physical protection over us. I mean, we, we approach this life as if we're so invincible, as if it's forever. But the Bible tells us something quite different. It tells us that our lives are like a mist, that we're here one day and we're gone the next. And our, our, our nature is more temporary than we think. Our time on planet Earth is more temporary than we like to acknowledge. And, and any day that we make it through, uh, that's another day to, to love our kids, to love our spouse, to love our friends, to, to, to know life on planet Earth is a picture of the Lord's physical protection over us. So there is this physical aspect to his protection, but, but his protection also comes in another form. He also protects us spiritually. And the Bible makes it very clear, you know, about the cause of our struggles here on Earth. Ephesians 6.12 tells us this, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Listen, we get so caught up on what we can see with our physical eyes, but this battle primarily is not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. And in the midst of this battle, we're given this promise in 2 Thessalonians 3.3. It says, the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. You know, you may be struggling to see his protection in your life right now. I, I don't know what you're going through, but, but I wonder if you've ever questioned the Lord's protection over you. You may be thinking, you know, he hasn't been the good shepherd to me. What about my financial struggles? The, the bills, they keep coming, and, and the collectors are calling, and the money's just not there. Where's his protection over me? Where's the good shepherd in that? You know, or maybe you think about a, a broken relationship. You know, he said he loved me. She said she would never leave, and, and now I'm all alone. Where's the Lord's protection in that? Maybe it has to do with an illness. You know, why doesn't God just heal this? Why doesn't he heal me? Why doesn't he heal my spouse? Why doesn't he heal my kids? Where's the Lord's protection in that? Why are my circumstances what they are? And I would say to you this morning, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know why the Lord would choose to heal one person and not heal another. I don't know why his provision seems abundant in one person's life and not in another. I don't know why your specific circumstances are what they are. But there is something that I know for certain. And it's that God's primary concern is not for our temporary comfort or satisfaction. But rather, his primary concern is for our eternal destiny and his eternal glory. I think that's why when we read a passage like Romans 8, 28, that says we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. 
who have been called according to his purpose. And when we read that, that we can know that the good shepherd is personally involved in our lives. He's personally involved in your story and that the truth of God's word is not threatened by your circumstances. It's not. God is, is taking the things that the devil has intended for your harm and he is working them for your good and for his glory. And your situation may make absolutely no sense this side of heaven. You may scratch your head as, as you look at your circumstances and wonder, God, what are you doing? What is this about? What's this leading towards? But you can say with confidence that my God knows me. My God will protect me. And ultimately, my God is someone who will die for me. He's someone who will give his life for me. That's exactly what Jesus, the good shepherd, did for us. Back to John chapter 10. Look at verse 7. It says, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, what does this mean when Jesus talks about being the gate? He says, I am the gate for the sheep. Let me show you a picture of what Jesus is describing here. This is a, a picture of what a sheep pen would look like, and it was usually a, a rough stone structure, and it had only one opening uh, through which the sheep could, could go in and come out. And what would happen is the, the shepherd uh, would bring his sheep into the pen, and then the shepherd would lay down in that opening. The shepherd literally became the gate for the sheep pen. So think about the imagery that Jesus is portraying here. Jesus is, is saying that by laying down his own life, we can now enter into an eternal relationship with God through Jesus, the gate. That's why Jesus can say, no one comes to the Father except through me. It was through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we're given access to the Father. Look a little farther down at verse 17 and 18. Jesus says, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay my life down only to take it up again. He's talking about his death and his resurrection. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. It's Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless Son of God, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant and being found in, in human likeness. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he did it so that our sins could be forgiven and we could come into a relationship with God, the Father, and where for centuries the blood of an innocent lamb or an innocent sheep was spilled for the shepherd. Well, that all changed when Jesus came on the scene. In the Old Testament, what we find is the sheep laying down its life for the shepherd. In the New Testament, what we find is the good shepherd laying his life down for the sheep. And Jesus said later in the book of John, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then he practiced what he preached. And he went to the cross and he became the gate through which we could enter into a relationship with God the Father. Who's going to love me? 
Well, it's someone who knows you. It's someone who will protect you. And ultimately, it's someone who gave his life for you. It's the chosen one. It's the good shepherd. It's Jesus Christ. And once a month here at Genesis Church, we take time uh, to remember the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made so that we could come back into that right relationship with God the Father. We celebrate the hope and the future that we have through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we do that as we take communion together. We're going to do that this morning. If you know the Good Shepherd, if you've submitted to his lordship in your life, I want to invite you to be a part of this with us. Even if it's your first morning at Genesis Church, all who are in a relationship with Christ are are welcome to be a part of this with us this morning. I want to invite you in your own time uh, to come to the front of the room or head to the back where we have tables set up, and, and you can take the stacked cups. There's bread in the top, or juice in the top, and, and bread in the bottom. You can take that back to your seat, and in your own time, take those elements. But before you do that, I want to encourage you to remember, uh, to remember the sacrifice that Christ made on your behalf, to acknowledge that, that he is the one who knows you. He is the one who will protect you. He is the one who gave his life for you. We're going to do that in just a minute. But maybe you're here today and, and you realize that, that you're living, uh, as Jesus described, like a sheep without a shepherd. You know, maybe you've wandered away. Maybe you've never known the good shepherd at all. And, and what I would say to you this morning, and I want you to hear me on this, is that there is no mistake that you could possibly make that has put you out of bounds for God's love. His arms are open wide to you. He desires that relationship with you. He's given his son, Jesus Christ, so that you could come back into a relationship with him. And maybe for you this morning, it's time for you to take that step toward submitting your life to Christ and moving into that right relationship through Jesus, the good shepherd. And I want, to, I want you to know you've got an opportunity to do that this morning too. As we move into this time of communion, I've asked our prayer team to be in the back of the room. They'll be back there. They're the folks wearing the name tags. And as others around you are moving towards this time of communion, maybe this is a time for you to move towards submission, to move towards submitting your life to Christ. And I want to invite you to go seek out one of those folks. They'll pray with you. They'll talk to you about what those next steps could possibly look like in your relationship with Christ. Maybe as we move into this time of communion, that's your next step this morning. Let me pray for us, and uh, we're going to celebrate communion together. So, Father God, uh, we come before you this morning just in absolute awe of both your grace and your mercy. Father, that uh, through Jesus Christ, you have offered us freedom, you have offered us forgiveness, you have offered us hope. And Father, we celebrate that this morning as we remember the sacrifice of your son, the good shepherd, the one who knows us, the one whose protection is over us, the one who gave his life for us. And Father, as we remember, as we take the juice and the bread and we remember Jesus' blood and his body spilled and broken for us, Father, we just say thank you. We say we love you. We say we devote our lives to you. We desire to live for your glory. And Lord, I pray that if there are those here this morning and your spirit is stirring in their hearts and they know that they are living like sheep without a shepherd, that they have wandered far from you, Father, or they've never known you at all, God, that they would be bold in taking steps Uh, toward you and recognizing that you have opened the gate into a relationship with yourself through Jesus Christ, that they would submit to your lordship today and that you would make them bold in that, Father. God, thank you for Christ. 
Thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.